You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. Now we're going to be in Genesis 13 and 14, so if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles up to that, uh, we're going to be looking or getting the lesson in quarreling and in peacemaking. Um, Now, if anyone knows anything about being quarrelsome, sadly, uh, the church knows it all too well. Uh, we have a reputation for it, right? There's, there's jokes. And if I asked you all, if you've grown up in church, uh, I'm sure some of you have jokes and stories about people getting upset and being divisive over, you know, the color of carpet or uh, the hurt feelings over special music or because they didn't get a shout out that they were hoping to from the stage at some point. Um, and sadly, right, we're to be a people uh, who, are, who don't have a tendency to stir up division. Hopefully, we are a people that uh, are what we preach, which is uh, love and, and uh, compassion and empathy. Uh, but sadly, sadly, uh, we know better than that, that the church, again, has a tendency to be divisive. Now, I know when I mention uh, something about being quarrelsome, I'm sure there's someone that comes to your mind. Uh, now, we all have that person in our lives who has a tendency to stir up trouble, to cause division, the gospel, or slander, to, uh, to, to be cruel, to argue at any opportunity they can. Now, what I don't want you to do is sit and think, man, they, they really should be here right now to hear this. I don't want you to elbow the person next to you going, are you listening? As we tend to do. Because some of you may be. Uh, the person who you go, yeah, that person quarrels about everything. But what I want you to do is I want you to listen to the Word and realize that all of us have the potential to be quarrelsome and to be divisive. All of us. If you have a tongue, you have the ability to be divisive. Now, uh, today we're going to hear a story of Abram and Lot And there's a choice that has to be made, peace or war, quarrelsome or reconciliation. And there are three points to go along with the sermon is the dispute, the decision, and the deliverance. Before we unpack the word, let us pray. Father God, we thank you that we get to come here and worship you, that we get to read your word together. Lord, I pray that any distraction or any baggage we bring in today... Uh, Lord, that we can cast that aside and we can focus on your word and that it would penetrate our hearts and that it would cause us to repent or that it would train us up in righteousness. But I pray that you and your glory is our focus. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genesis 13, I'm going to read verses 1 and 3. It says, So Abram went up from Egypt. He and his wife and all that he had and Lot with him into the Negev. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. Now, if you remember last week, Abram and Sarah had fled to Egypt due to famine. It was there where he faced a trial as a husband and he failed uh, miserably, uh, not just toward his wife as he was allowed for he allowed her to t- uh, be taken away to save his own skin, but he, he also failed to remember the promise of God. Now, 
A few things about Abram in Egypt. We don't really know how long he was there. Uh, some say he was there for two months. Some say for two years. Uh, for however long he was there, what we do know is that when he returned, there seemed to be some sort of change of heart with Abram. And notice that when he came back to the land, he came to where he started from, as we just read in verse 3, right? He came to his tent that he had in the beginning. In verse 4, it says, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. So Abram, after failing, I'm sure, feeling like a failure, he returns back to where it all began, to where he first worshipped the Lord, returning to his roots as a believer, and he remembers how far the Lord had brought him. And I'm sure that as, as he was in Egypt, as he had gave his wife away, I'm sure he sat there thinking, the Lord is done with me. I, I, I've, I've done, ruined it. I've messed up. The Lord was going to bless me, but now he's, surely he's done with me. I've blew it, and I'll never be back in the land of promise. But God being rich in mercy and ever faithful not only brings Abram back, but apparently continued to bless him in his, uh, during his exile. It says in verse 2 of 13, Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. The Lord had blessed Abram. And just like Abram had nothing to do when it came to earning God's grace in the beginning, Abram's place within God's plan was immovable. For God had a purpose. And who can thwart the will of God? Certainly not Abraham in his sin. Not all of his failures could thwart the will of God. For the Lord knew when he adopted Abraham what he was adopting. He knew who he was getting and all the troubles that came with it. Now, Abram got to see in this moment a God that despite Abram's failings, despite Abram's shortcomings... God still would pursue him, love him, bless him, and make peace with him. And I want you to remember that. Remember that what Abram sees here and what he's going to have to remember and draw upon as he deals with difficult people in his life and difficult trials in his life. That the Lord, despite Abram's sin, pursued him. Like Abram... You and I, we deal with difficult people. Some of us, we don't deal with difficult people. We just are difficult people. And what I would ask is that, like Abram, that we let the gospel influence our dealings with other people. And if you don't, if the gospel does not influence your dealings, then your flesh will, and you will be a quarrelsome people rather than peaceful. Verse 5 and 6 of 13 says, And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possession were so great that they could not dwell together. Abram was blessed, so everyone in his house was blessed, which included Lot, and, and herein lies the problem. Listen to verse 6 again. It says, their possessions were so great that they could not dwell 
together. Something I find incredibly interesting is they went through a famine together. The famine, that didn't cause the quarreling. That didn't cause divisiveness. What caused the quarreling was God's blessing. Like they didn't know how to handle it. I find it fascinating that it wasn't the famine, but the blessing. And I think of the songwriter, Notorious B.I.G., if you know him. If you don't, don't look him up. But he has a saying, mo money, mo problems. If you're old, mo just means more. That's all that means. But it's a true statement, right? Receiving more and more of God's blessings oftentimes can be difficult. Listen, we, a church outgrowing a space is both a blessing, but it also raises problems, right? When you have a thousand babies stuck in the back. <laughs> a thousand more with us. That's okay. We love them. The tension, right? The potential for tension when it, in a growing church is a lot. As we have a building project, and you have some people who work a lot, maybe upset that some others don't show up. There's potential to take what is an obvious blessing and make it feel like a curse. But that's the foolish heart. It's the foolish heart that does that. Verse 7 says, there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Where worship should have rang out, strife settled in, and what they got was fighting and backbiting became their way. But, but what were they to do? Because this wasn't their land. This was Abram's land. It was his property given to him by God. Thus, it was his problem to resolve. Now, Abram had within his right to tell Lot and his crew of merry men, to go suck it up, buttercup. Sorry if your men are, you know, they've been blessed through me. Sorry if you've been hindered in any way. Just deal with it. All right? He could have told him if you don't like it, you can leave. Or he could have just do what some of us do. Right? He could have ignored the problem, just pretend it doesn't exist. Someone's mad at me. I don't want to deal with it. I just, just ignore it. He could have lost his mind and been a hothead and not heard anything that they had to say. Or maybe the silent treatment with strategically timed heavy breathing. <sighs> Lot says, what's wrong, Abram? Nothing. <sighs> there are about a million different ways we could deal with disputes that are unhealthy and unbiblical. And I'd ask that you examine on how you deal with disputes. Do you quarrel back? Are you known for being an arguer and stirring up of division and hateful? Do you take pride in being argumentative? Is the way you deal with disputes God-honoring? And what I would ask is, if it is, I would say, let the gospel guide your thinking, your words, and your disputes. So Abram has a decision to make. That's our second point, the decision. Is he going to be divisive? Is he going to be a peacemaker? Genesis 13, 8 says, Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen 
and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Now let us take a lesson from Abram. Notice, notice what he does. All right? he, has an, he has an issue with Lot. He knows that Lot has an issue with him. And he does something so extraordinary, and for some of you, so revolutionary. He talks to him. He goes to the person, and he talks to them. N- not, not accusatory. He goes to him humbly, saying, I want what you want, hopefully, peace. It's the habit of some of us to not go to the one we're fighting with or distraught with. And there's an urge within us all to go and air our grievances to anyone who will listen, except for the person who needs to hear it, except for the person who, can, who needs forgiveness or, or can help reconcile. It is often, sadly, our habit. Have you heard what so-and-so has done? Well, let me tell you how offended I am by it. We go to anybody, anyone who's willing to listen of how wronged we've been. That fixes nothing. It improves nothing. And surely it doesn't bring glory to the Lord. Then there's my favorite. And I've been on Facebook a little bit more recently because I found out they have a Facebook watch button at the bottom. I don't know why one of you laughed. It's a really neat thing. It shows videos, and it saves me time from going to YouTube, and I can just press the little thing. So I, I, I've, been, I've been on there a little bit more, but something I saw was, I've noticed, right, is the, uh, when some of us get angry, what we do is the passive-aggressive Facebook posts, where we air our entire grievance, hoping that that person out there reads every word of it. It helps no one. It's not biblical. It's not helpful. Now, Christ tells us what to do. It's Matthew 18. It's not going to be on the screen. I don't think it's necessary. I think what you could do, if, if you wanted to, uh, if you need to get a pen and piece of paper and just write this down, it's Matthew 18. I'm going to read it for you, but I think you'll be able to remember it. It's simple as this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him. Period. Right? Now, if he, now, maybe you do that. It doesn't go the way that you want to. We'll continue to read Matthew 18. Jesus explains what to do next. But that's the first step. Not the gossip. Not the slander. Not to tell whatever the modern equivalent is of your herdsman. It's to go and speak to the person that you're upset with. That's hurt you. So... Abram has a decision to make, doesn't he? What's he going to do? Follow the flesh and get revenge? To hurt someone because he's been hurt? It's a difficult thing to go someone willing to find peace, wanting to find peace. It may mean that you have to be humble. It might mean you have to show compassion. Even harder, it might mean you have to forgive And again, that's not natural. It is godly to pursue forgiveness, and it's godly to pursue peace. And so Abram has to ask the question, what do I love more, my stuff or Abram? Do I love my nephew Lot or all the land that was given to me? What is more important to me? 
to gain it all and lose a brother? Or should I sacrifice and seek reconciliation so that I can have peace? Verse 9 says, or Abram says, he says, Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If, if you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. And if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Now, this is crazy to me. Abram says to Lot, uh, I'm going to let you choose what land you want. I'm going to get you, you get first dips. We, we're, I, I, don't, I don't want to fight. I want peace. He tells this to his adopted nephew, which is like two pegs under a redheaded stepchild, right? Like, this is, this is a nobody. And he says, you can take whatever you want. He says, there's plenty of both of us. There's no reason to argue. Now, Abram displays not only a lack of greed, he shows contentment. Complete contentment in what the Lord gives him, whatever he has. He also shows great wisdom. He's not under compulsion to show this kindness. He doesn't have to. I think it's neat that he's, he recognizes that, that Lot has grown up, and maybe it's time that he let Lot go on his own. Abram understands that in order to reconcile, it may cost him something. That reconciliation in this case doesn't mean things are going to go back to normal. They're not going to live on the same plot of land, and he's okay with that. He's okay that reconciliation is going to cost him. Because he's making it clear to Lot and anyone who reads, it's worth it. Listen, I pray that if there's someone, especially in this church body, that you need to reconcile with, I pray that you see it's worth it, even if it costs you your own pride, that it's worth it. Despite any frustrations or fighting, he displays his love for Lot by humbling himself to serve the needs of his nephew. More than land, Abram wanted peace. More than making a point, he wanted peace. He doesn't want Lot to beg or apologize or do anything except, except grace. Take the offer of grace so they can live together in peace. Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. First know this, peacemakers are called sons of God because they're mimicking their Father in heaven who's made peace with them. I want you to remember that because you and I, we once warred against God. Scripture says we hated him and he pursued you and made peace with you through the cross. Abram got to see a God who, despite his own failings, his own shortcomings, pursued him, loved him, blessed him, and made peace with him. Thus, Abram sought to make peace. The gospel for Abram, for us, should be foundational in both how we handle blessings and disputes, trials and triumphs, highs and lows. Secondly, to be quarrelsome is to be a miserable person. It's to be a miserable person who makes miserable company. I want you to listen to wisdom. Proverbs 26, 21. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. Men, if you are quarrelsome, if you pick fights, 
with your wife, with your children, or with anyone you are, what Scripture says is destructive. Like a fire, you destroy anything and everything around you. Community, your marriage, your relationships, you destroy them. And you make for miserable company. Men, pray to be like Christ, who came and sacrificed so that you could have peace. Now, wives, women, listen to wisdom. I want you to know, I didn't write this. This was the Lord. You take it up with Him. It is better to live on top of a house than in the house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Leave that there. Right? To be quarrelsome is not to be a badge of honor for you. Whatever you want to call it, sassy, whatever it is, to be quarrelsome is not a badge of honor. To be divisive is not godly. No Christian. No Christian should be described in such a way to, that you're a miserable person who makes miserable company. It should never describe you. You who have joy, who've been granted and inherit the kingdom of God, you should never be described this way in your home or in your workplace, while driving, while speaking to your server at a restaurant as someone who's argumentative, ready to fight. Abram made his decision, and it was to make peace. But Lot would also have to make a decision. Look at verse 10. It says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. It says that Lot lifted his eyes, but the problem was he didn't lift them high enough. Notice what or who did Lot consult before choosing to go east? Did he ask Abram, who was showing such great kindness, hey, what are your thoughts, uncle? No. Did he ask the man who was older and wiser than he? No. Did he pray beforehand, asking the Lord to give him discernment? No again. Lot consulted his appetite for wealth, for ambition, to grow his brand. He thought little of the man that took him in because peace was not Lot's desire, and he thought even less of what the Lord may think about it because worship was not his purpose. He consulted, rather, his eyes. Like Adam and Eve, who looked on the forbidden fruit, which was delightful to their eyes, Lot looked to the valley whose beauty was reminiscent of the Garden of Eden, and he decided, I'm going to take it for myself. So verse 11 says, So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Genesis 13, 12 tells us what happened to Abram. He settled in the land of Canaan. Now, if you're like me, I don't like that. I don't like that one bit. Here, Abram is trying to be a nice guy, trying to seek peace, trying to do the right thing. And Abram, what's he get for being a nice guy? He gets snubbed on the good land. 
right? It's like, Abram, I told you. Like, nice guys finish last. Should have done it. Well, you should have. If I had been around Abram, I said, you should go tell Lot and all his merry herdsmen to go kick rocks. They'd go somewhere else. That's what I would have told them. Abram's land was not as beautiful or well-watered or fertile as the land he had given up. But is Abram worried? Not even a little bit. Not even for a second. He never would have offered the deal if he believed that God's promise could be thwarted by Lot's greed. He already realized that his own sin didn't thwart God's will. Surely Lot is not more potent than God's divine promise. He sought peace. Listen to me. He sought peace with Lot, not because Lot deserved it. If you only seek peace with those who you think deserve it, then you will be a miserable person who makes miserable company. Let the gospel guide your thinking. If innocence was not a prerequisite for God to offer you peace, then who are we, O sinners, to raise the standard that we can't meet? In order I make peace with you, you have to be perfect? Well, that's silly. It's not gospel thinking. We seek peace because God demands it and because he's worthy of it. Our peacemaking is an act of worship. And when you become quarrelsome and divisive and argumentative, you cease to worship God. But yourself, you play with self-idolatry. Look at verses 14 and 15. It says, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, and eastward, and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. Now, not Lot, but now Abram lifts his eyes. And unlike Lot, it's not what is seen that comforts Abram. What comforts Abram and comforts his soul is not what he is what he cannot see, both what is promised and who's doing the promising. For Abram knows that what we know, right? God can make the infertile fertile, the dry ground well watered. He can turn water into wine, he can make the dead alive. Abram has nothing to fear or nothing to worry about. Not a thing. He knows he has more than he deserves, and he listens to what God tells him. In verse 16, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. God reminds Abram of the promise. And he's saying to him, you have no idea what I have in store for you. He made peace with Abram so that one day he could show him what it means to God's children when he makes peace with you. I know when we say it, it's, it's almost like just Christian lingo that, we've made, that God's made peace with us. But we don't understand the depth and the richness of that phrase. Not until you get into glory and see its fruit what it actually means to go from warring with God, which all of us were in our sin, to being called sons and daughters of God. 
He continues to tell Abram in 17 and 18, Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent, and he came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Abram worshipped. Even though it seems like he got the raw end of the deal, he worshipped him. He didn't respond by pounding the ground in frustration because Lot got the better plot. That wasn't his response. He didn't, his eyes didn't go down to the ground going, woe is me, look at all that I lost. Which is, I think, our habit. Notice they were lifted up to the Lord and his mind brought back to divine promises. Divine promises that are secured and eternal. But again, Lot made a choice too. Verse 12 and 13, Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. It was Lot's damnable ambition that led him straight into sin. Now I, can, I guarantee you, I could, what, of what happened in the household, when, when Lot is talking to his wife and saying, hey, we're moving east toward Sodom and Gomorrah, I'm sure she had heard, right, these are wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And he probably said, well, wait, listen, financially, it's a great move for us, sweetheart. Financially, it's wonderful. You know how much money I can make? It makes all the economic sense in the world. Right? The finances justify it. Sure, the cities oppose the Lord, but that, that's not going to affect us, right? We'll, we'll make sure that doesn't affect us. I'm sure it checked all the boxes as far as security is concerned. There were, there were five kings that were allied together around the area of Sodom and Gomorrah. Who on earth would raise their sword against five kings? No one. It was, it was security check. I'm sure it made all the sense given the influence and power that Lot could have. If he played his cards right, right, his kids really could benefit. It made all the sense in the world except this. He chose to raise his family with those who were against the Lord. He sent his children to their schools. He participated in their ways. He profited within their system. And in doing so, he sacrificed his family for financial gain. How often... I hear this tale over and over again, and surprise, given all the money that is made, it never brought peace. I don't know if you ever think about the small decisions that end up changing your life completely. I love to think about it. Because uh, there's decisions I've made uh, that, that I thought would really impact what happened to me. I, I thought, you know, uh, you know, getting you know, undergrad in political science or in public policy, that that would do something. That would amount, that would change everything, and it didn't. I thought going into the military would change a lot, and that, that didn't change much of anything, really, for me. There was a day, a small decision, where I decided, uh, and I think about it because it's Julie and I's anniversary week, it was just a random day, a decision, I, I didn't think and go, this is going to be something huge. I, uh, we were, I lived in Virginia, and I was coming to visit a friend in Scott Depot, 
a friend that doesn't live here anymore. And I traveled, and I think how interesting it is the, the, that decision, that small decision that I almost canceled, didn't seem relevant at all to my future, changed everything. It changed the course of my life. The thing is, we don't always know those life-changing little decisions until we look back and see them. It's why we need to be in the Word, praying for wisdom, surrounding ourselves with godly, peacemaking people to help guide us. But Lot's decision to go east, it would change everything. Everything. This man's life would know nothing about peace. Nothing. When he set his eyes and the eyes of his family on Sodom, little did he know it would cost him the life of his wife. She was unable to turn away from it. It would lead to her death. It would cost Lot his daughters, who were so influenced by the world that they saw it good to get Lot drunk and have sex with him. No peace in that family. On the other side, Abram had peace. Lot would only know turmoil and destruction. And it began, after this decision, to seek prosperity over peace. The last point is the deliverance. Now, the beginning of chapter 14, I'm not going to read all of it, but uh, it seems a bit detached uh, as it reads kind of like a history novel of what kings came and went. It's a political tale. And here, here's the short of it. There, there are, in the north... Four kings, right? To help you remember that, we'll just we'll call them the four kings, okay? And then the four kings were invading south, where Sodom and Gomorrah was, where Lot was hanging out. Um, and those kings, they have a really cool name. It's straight out of the Pirates of the Caribbean. I'm not making this up. It's the it's the uh, the five kings of the Dead Sea. You have to say it like a pirate, or it's just not as fun. So the four kings are going southward towards the five kings of the Dead Sea, and they defeated these Dead Sea kings. They were run off by the four kings. And so all the security Lot thought he had it evaporated in a moment. And this is what happens. 11 and 12. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom. They took his possessions and went their way. Lot's eyes deceived him. What originally looked beautiful was a trap. The economic justification for moving towards sin it was all gone. All of his possessions taken. The influential uh, justification evaporated, for now he was a slave. The security motive, gone as the dead kings were in fact dead. Lot's sin led him to be defeated and in captivity. This should sound familiar to you. Verses 14 reads, When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men. Now think about how you would have responded when I read that Abram says, all right, let's get my men together and let's go rescue Lot, 
I, I could tell you what I would have done. I would have heard it. The little pigeon would have came and given me a letter, however they did it. And I would have said, serves him right. Serves him right. He took that land. He did what he shouldn't have done. Sorry. Not my problem. My wife would tell you, my fa- I'd probably say my favorite saying, which is, that's not my place. That's not my place. He has the, what's the sleep in the bed that you made, whatever that saying is. I would throw that one out there as well, if I could get it right. <laughs> Live in the bed you made? I don't know what it is. Who lives in a bed? And of course you sleep in the bed you made, but whatever. Either way, I would have been, I would not have wanted to help this man. I wouldn't have. And, and, and just to be completely transparent with you, I have struggled with deep, deep bitterness in my life. Deep bitterness. It never brought me peace. It never brought me healing. Uh, only more and more resentment. Uh, and it only hurt those who I loved and hurt myself. I, I, it never hurt the people I was upset with. They never felt it. And I've seen the greatest of my own depravity when I, I would openly find pleasure in the pain of those who hurt me. And so when I read what Abram's doing here, I'm, I'm like, dude, you had every reason to be upset, angry, disappointed, whatever it is. But instead, what does he do? He remembers that despite his own failings, despite his own, own shortcomings, that God pursued him, loved him, blessed him, and made peace with him. The gospel guided his thinking. So he fought for his family. He fought for his nephew because he loved them. Church, I pray that you value the relationships of each other so much that you're willing to fight for one another, not just those in your home, but your eternal family that is your church. He wasn't mad about some land, right? The land that wasn't even his. He couldn't take it to heaven with him. He was ready to risk it all. So he went on a rescue mission, and he would deliver Lot from bondage, and he would set him free. But also he would restore all that he had lost. Verse 16 says, And then he brought back all the possessions, and also brought back his kinsmen, Lot with his possessions, and the women, and the people. He brought back Lot and all that he had lost. It's almost like Abram undid all of Lot's wrongs, as if it never happened. It is in this moment that Abram is a shadow of Christ. The Lord placed these events in history and time to foreshadow something more beautiful and greater than just Abram and Lot. Remember, Jesus says all that the prophets wrote, all that was given to Moses, all of the Old Testament is about Christ. This is bigger than Abram and Lot. Abram is foreshadowing. He's a, he's a Christ type. As he willingly goes and rescues Lot because he loves him, because he adopted him, he delivered him. And this is what Christ does and promises to his children. Like Abram, I would ask that you lift your eyes and see the promise that God has made to you, that you can see the peace that was made for you. 
that you would see the kingdom of God in which you will inherit and that you will respond by being a peacemaker. And like Abram, that you will remember your failings, your shortcomings. And despite those things, God pursued you. He loved you. He blessed you. He made peace with you through Christ crucified. Not so you could be a grumbling, quarrelsome man and woman, but a peacemaker. So that we can be peacemakers, that the gospel would guide our thinking, that we as sons and daughters can carry a message of reconciliation to the world for our good and his glory. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.